This episode of the No Film School podcast is brought to you by Small HD and Rode Microphones. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. My name is Ryan Koo, and I'm the founder of No Film School. I'm here today with a pretty crazy podcast for you. I'm excited about it. It's about this movie that just premiered at Sundance called Omniboat, A Fast Boat Fantasia. And Omniboat is an omnibus film, which means it has multiple directors. It's outlandishly creative, it's inventive, it's entertaining, it's hilarious. Uh, It always keeps you guessing about which segment is going to be crazier than the last one. And the movie started as a PDF originally. It opens with the credit, based on a PDF by Lucas Leva. Not based on a screenplay or based on a comic book. Uh, Definitely the first movie I've seen that ever says based on a PDF. So this PDF is pretty crazy, and we mention it in the podcast. It's basically acknowledging the foolishness of investing in independent films. So it says, why not buy a speedboat instead of or in addition to financing a film? We've made this PDF available on NoFilmSchool.com with the release of this podcast. So if you go to the website, you can find it there and take a look at the thing that we're referring to. Among the 15 or so filmmakers in the Omniboat credits are names you might recognize, including Daniels, who made the feature Swiss Army Man, Terrence Nance, who made an oversimplification of her beauty, Hannah Fidel, who made A Teacher, and Phil Lord of Lord & Miller, who directed the Lego movie 21 Jump Street and produced Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, the film was produced by Bow and Arrow Entertainment and the Borscht Corp. And Borscht is something that's really interesting to look at for filmmakers all around the world because it is a Miami-based filmmaking collective. How do you go from making movies with your high school friends and not being in New York or L.A. to making films that played at festivals 400 times, including 17 different Sundance projects? How did Borscht start? How did they build this collective in their own backyard as opposed to moving to a production town? We get into that in the podcast, so I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. We recorded it at Sundance, where I was joined by many of the filmmakers on Omniboat, including Jillian Meyer, Hannah Fidel, Britt Potter, Dylan Redford, Xander Robin, Olivia West Lloyd, and Phil Lord. Make sure to check out the PDF on the website. Let's get into it. Welcome to Omnipod, a podcast about Omniboat. A Fast Boat Fantasia, which is an omnibus film. We have a lot of filmmakers here. This might be the No Film School record for most filmmakers on one podcast. Uh, And because there are so many multi-hyphenates, writer, director, actors, producer, editors here, uh, why don't we just start by going around the circle and saying who you are. uh, And maybe the listener can get a sound to a name, but maybe later on the podcast too, if you start talking, it'll be helpful to say, this is Jillian, so on and so forth. Uh, so let's go around and introduce ourselves. My name is Hannah Fidel. And, and, I, and uh, you were? I wrote and directed one of the segments. Awesome. My name is Jillian Mayer, and I sound like this, so you'll know it's me. Um, I'm a writer, director, and I'm in some of Omniboat, I'm also an executive producer on it. Um, I'm Olivia Lloyd. I'm a writer, director, producer, editor, and um, puppeteer. (laughs) I'm Phil Lord. I I wrote and produced one of the pieces. I'm Dylan Redford. I wrote, uh, directed, produced, acted, and also was a puppeteer. Brett Potter, writer, director, producer. Xander Robin, filmmaker. (laughs) Wow. Wow, Xander. Easy, right? Wow. Mic drop drop at the end there. Wow. (laughs) I'm an uncredited puppeteer on it. I just like to bring that up. I like to reopen the I files. Should have been there at five in the morning when we were giving out the puppeteer credits. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm so yeah, deeply insecure. Like we're, I'm just shouting out to the room who wants more who credit. Wants credit? <laughs> yeah, there are there are a lot of credits in this film, and there's a lot of you with your names appearing many times throughout. Uh, so this is one of my favorite things I've seen at Sundance because I think one of the things we we like as filmmakers here is watching other work that expands our perception of what a film can be. Um, and there are so many times in this movie where I was watching it and just thinking, what the fuck? It, it, it's so it's so great. Um, so it's also one of the first movies I've ever seen to open with the credit based on a PDF buy. So if, if that was the beginning, I know Lucas can't be here, but um, if you guys could just talk about like what was this PDF and uh, you know how did you get started on this this crazy idea? So um, I'm a collaborator of Lucas Sleva, and we've been working together for a bunch of years. And we've had three shorts at uh, Sundance under our own names, but also have produced a ton, done the labs, done a bunch of stuff. And at every time we're like, oh, maybe this will be our chance to make a feature film. And um, we'd go around, have a lot of meetings with people, and they always thought we were insane at the end. And we realized that all the film cred that we had acclimated really meant nothing until a PDF with really, really fresh images, really sick pictures of boats ripping through the water circulated. And it was basically this amazing PDF that Lucas made that uh, pointed out the pros and cons of owning a boat and indie film and all the feelings associated with. We had different pie charts on demographics of who could go on the boat, including hot guys, hot girls, cool pets, bait. We had um, a budget listed out in the PDF for things like, you know, characters, props, camera, suntan lotion, rosé, just all the important things you need to know when you're considering, do I invest in a movie? Do I buy a boat? Or perhaps merge these two ideas. I had been producing for Jillian and Lucas, this is Brett, I'd been producing for Jillian and Lucas for several years before this packet came, and like Jillian said, we had been trying to package feature films of theirs, and they just have these like really kind of um, insane ideas, and people just weren't really going for them, and I, and to me, like, it seemed like the packet was almost born out of frustration, you know, like, well, if you won't finance our indie film, like, will you buy us a speedboat, and it was almost born out of, like, in a trolley type, like, when Lucas first sent it to me, I was like, this is funny, but, like, that's it, you know? And then he started sending it around to people and sending it to all these really cool filmmakers that we work with, and everyone was like, hell yeah, like, put my name on that packet. And it really just snowballed this joke, uh, but not even really a joke. It's, like, honestly, it's kind of like a manifesto in a weird way, kind of disguised as a joke, uh, sort of snowballed. And then even one of the biggest agencies in Hollywood signed on board and started helping us package it. And um, So, yeah, so that was, like, the impetus, and that's why... It's very, very good that it's based on a PDF by Lucas Leva because that really was the catalyst for the whole thing. People waste so much money getting locations for films, but what if your location was a six-speed boat and that you owned it at the end? So that was like one of the underlying things because it essentially functions as a co-op because all the filmmakers involved and all the people that are the diehards for this project are part owner of the boat. So the boat's for sale. I'd like to add that. Yeah. It comes with the movie. If you buy the boat, uh, the the DCP comes in the glove compartment. It's a sick boat. Yeah, it's super sick. I like that it the PDF kind of linked boats and films as rapidly depreciating assets. Yeah. Yeah, both impress your friends. If you and can make parents. a movie and get a boat, that was on the like parallel, like the Venn diagram. Temporary fills existential void. That was also on the Venn diagram. Yeah. I also feel like for anyone that's 
been an independent film, the sort of game of making the hot PDF is such a it's such a thing. Like everyone always asks for the lookbook for the for for the deck, um, and so it's not just like the script, but like the packet is its own medium. And I think that um, that was for me was really exciting because it felt like we were really putting our finger on like this sort of new speculative form, which is the PDF um, as like its own kind of like craft. Um, and I feel like uh, I, I was excited that we did PDF based on because it's like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's going to be a part of the main credit scrolls and other movies. Cause it's, it's so many movies are bought and sold and develop off of a five page PDF with found photos in it. Yeah, <laughs> so like, basically. it's such well, an it's insane a day pitch. Yeah. It's, it's such an insane, like speculative pitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Has um, anyone checked with the writer's guild? Is this the first ever based on a PDF <laughs> We should do that. Credit. No, I, yes. I called them. Yeah, they said it was true. <laughs> cool. Just now you called them? Yeah, no. I, <laughs> just now, yeah, you, no. Just, you just stepped out for Well sure. done. Yeah. Yeah. They said we're That's really producing. cool. That's producing. And they said... That's producing. <laughs> WJ's big fans. Yeah. They can't wait to hang out. Um, also, you know how it's like behind the music? Uh, those like documentaries. We're going to have like behind the PDF. It's going to be like so boring, but cool. Okay, so you have this PDF. You Filmmakers start signing on. Um... You went and bought a boat in Missouri, I hear. In Missouri, correct. Uh, it's the most Miami boat ever. It might be the most Miami film ever, but somehow the boat was in Missouri? The boat was in Missouri because um, the boat's name is Land Pipe. It's a 1998 cigarette speedboat, Top Gun. Um, it goes very fast in the water. I always say, it like, when you go, like, 60, 70 miles an hour in a car, it feels really fast. But when you go that fast on the water, it's insane. It just feels completely insane, and this boat can do that. So it, it it was it was you know because it's a cigarette boat it was born in Miami went to Missouri because the speedboat mecca of the United States is in Missouri on the Lake of the Ozarks we bought it there and then we brought it back to Miami in its proper home and uh, made a movie with it. So then I'm curious how you obviously the PDF set the tone but at what point did you say okay we're going to start shooting this and and where do you start shooting something given that they're going to be how many filmmakers? 400. 400, 400 segments from 700 different filmmakers for some reason. Uh, like, you're like, okay, principal photography is not something on this omnibus film, that, like a normal movie where we've got 25 days, right? Like, so you just go out and you've got the boat. Now what? Well, we, so we had um, financiers, Bow and Arrow, signed on board, um, which was, uh, was the catalyst of the whole thing. And they asked us to hold a retreat in Miami, actually. And so a lot of the, the like, there was sort of a first group of filmmakers that came down to Miami, and we all met and talked about the premise of the project, you know, what it was we were doing. And then we rode out on, we, we all took a big trip on a speedboat. Um, and, of course, it was, like, cataclysmic rain, thunder that day. It was the worst day to possibly go on a speedboat. And we were like, this is a great, like, sign for our project. But anyways, everyone, you know, split up and came back to Miami like two or three months later, started production, just as shorts actually. It was kind of like the same crew um, for a lot of the shorts. And ultimately how it was made is there was like, you know, five, or I guess seven bigger shorts that were made in the first round. And then about a year later, after a bunch of editing and whatnot, we went back and made a bunch of smaller shorts to go in between, to do the transitions, and to kind of like figure out a way for all of the work <clears throat> to speak together, you know, as opposed to be seven, as opposed to be like a shorts block. What happened in between those two uh, years of production? Um, 
some hurricanes. Yeah, there were two like two hurricanes like Zika. Like there was there was there was a short that was about to happen. There was a giant hurricane that hit. Yeah, yeah. Eric Wareheim was supposed to direct a short in this. Bernardo Brito was supposed to direct a short in this. Both of which just got completely like shredded. Someone was saying, "Don't make this movie." Yeah, yeah, but God, we. But God we, was saying that. <laughs> but we pre- we wanted to make we it anyways. Defied God. <laughs> we did. We defied God with yeah. this film. This film is definitely not only man versus nature, but man versus self and man versus speedboat. <laughs> <laughs> we have our headline now: that the film that defied God. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Let's let's go around. I want to talk about uh, the directing component of it. And here's, <clears throat> I heard a rumor that. The way the credits are, you don't necessarily want to say who directed what, but I, but I want to talk to the directors about the experience of like showing up and having, you know, what was it like having creative freedom or not, or, or you know, just the experience of directing a piece of a whole, even though it's your own voice, but you know your voice is going to be part of this uh, overall tone, whatever. I still don't know which one I've worked on. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let, let's let's ask Phil since you know. Phil, Phil's making very large movies in Hollywood, and then this PDF comes your way. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and I was yeah, I'm an old old person, so I had not heard of a PDF before. I was just so yeah enamored of this idea that a document could be transmitted electronically, <laughs> and I just was like, this is going to be the next the thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I signed on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm from Miami, and um, and I've always admired what Borscht has done, and um, and I never went to film school, <laughs> so uh, so the opportunity to 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 work in this um, more DIY mode and to work with all these great filmmakers was a was a treat. Um, I uh, I feel like I wrote three different segments. One was to Miami. One was one I wrote for an actor who didn't want to do it, and then <laughs> and then I ended up with this one, uh, and I think uh, it it was fun. Just I actually think that um, shorter length films are much harder to do because of the constraints of time, basically, and how do you can you even tell a full narrative in, you know, five, ten minutes? Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was a really fun challenge, and I've just been a fan of these guys for a long time. So when they sent me the PDF, I, it was a no-brainer. I wasn't part of, the, like, the first wave. I actually, the, f- the first time I, I was at, I made a Bohr short that was a commission that played at the festival, Lancesardi, that played at the festival, uh, in 2017, right before they went to production, like Lucas sent me the PDF as I was doing that. He's like, "Do you have any ideas for Speedboat?" I'm like, uh, "I didn't take him seriously because I didn't think he actually was gonna give me." Because I saw the roster list, I was like, "I'm not on that list." Why would he ask me this? Um, <laughs> and um, and I I visited actually your set, Phil, uh, for one day, and that was the only day I saw of 2017. But then I moved. And you still did it. I still did it. No, I was like, this is a huge <laughs> set. And Luke was like, this is the smallest set Phil's ever been on. I was like, oh. I was like this is crazy. You got all these people. Adam Devine, my brother loves him. You know? Uh, and, uh, and so I moved back to Florida where I grew up and to hang out with Borsch, the Borsch family. Mm-hmm. And um, we were all, Lucas and Brett and Dylan, they were all figuring out, and Olivia, we were all figuring out how to 
make the movie work and Jillian as well. We're all figuring out how to make the movie work and we had a lot of galaxy brain sessions where we like had there was all the shorts that were already produced and then there was this idea of doing the wraparound and then we decided that the wraparound would be kind of like a collectively made thing. We were all like figuring out what holes to fill, how to make these little like interstitial tonal pieces that kind of help you know make the movie feel like one story about Miami and somehow also still an omnibus movie. So we weren't really like being like, uh, what's my idea about a movie on a speedboat? It's more of like, what could we fill over here that makes this feel like one full story? Yeah, we were we were growing a lot of connective tissue, and so we had sort of that like that challenge that Xander is talking about. And and Xander, like even though he's not a producer, actively participated in this as well. But there was a a sort of an idea that we need to figure out how to make this all work together and say one thing together, but also still allow each individual slot to have its like moment and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's really what the experience was like. And uh, I love all my fellow producer segments. Your guys' stuff is sick. And I think the movie really sings after the second round of stuff. Not that the first round stuff isn't great, but it's a shorts block. And now that there's like this sort of totality, I'm, you know, it's great. Yeah. And I feel like having, um, my my contribution was was in the second phase, and I just feel like creatively, I got really excited about solving certain problems in the movie, like how do we get from point A to point B. I think that's also just something personally that I like doing in my own work is trying to sort of problem solve and like have something very specific that I have to deal with and circum like a certain circumstance. And so, um, I yeah, I was I was really excited about the connective tissue element because it gave me these pieces to work with and then I could just dial in and make it even more specific and more sort of Miami grounded and more based in the world of the movie um and I feel like everyone who had that challenge I think really excelled and like dug deep into how do we make this movie flow as a whole um which I just love that challenge like I thought that was really fun yeah, that's a really good tip for anyone making an omnibus film is if you make these this first wave of yeah. shorts, then you can set these stakes in the ground. of Like, okay, this is working and this is working and we know that we're going to have that kind of tone to these components, but but now what? Like, we need all the connective tissue and the things that tie it together. And that makes sense to me now, having heard you talk about it, but when I was watching it, of course, part of the joy is being like, how did they, like, who was like, oh, yeah, we'll go from there to there, right. you know, <laughs> if you were just writing it as one whole whole script. Yeah, we made a lot of these uh, in the second round. We made a lot of these shorter things, and then and we were like, oh great, okay, we've solved the problem of the movie. We're gonna make all these smaller shorts to go in between the bigger shorts, and then we started putting them together, and we're like, you know, we could really use an even smaller short in between <laughs> that short. And so we started kind of doing that also. It was, <laughs> like, a, it was a Russian it was like, doll. Of it was literally like it could just it could keep. We kept having to like remind ourselves to like stop making interstitials for the interstitials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like and we started doing like found footage things, like really short, just to like do little mini sort of transitions between a transition and we really had to kind of like try to rein it in because I think we we might uh in a right parallel right. dimension we're still actually in the borscht office <laughs> making smaller and smaller shorts <laughs> small hd real-time confidence for creatives founded by a group of independent filmmakers small hd has been innovating the on-camera and production monitor industry for an entire decade it started by creating the first ever hd monitor that could sit on top of a dslr Today, it's products like the 703 Bolt that has an integrated wireless receiver and a daylight viewable screen. Small HD is in the business of providing real-time confidence for creatives. With an extremely wide range field of view monitors, Small HD prides itself on durability and usability. Whether it's paired with a mirrorless camera during a wedding or used for a video village in Hollywood, Small HD has a monitor for every production. 
Powerful software tools, a unified user experience, and premium display quality help make small HD monitors the industry standard. So stop wondering if you've nailed the shot. Start having more confidence at the camera with Small HD. On camera and production monitors starting at just $299. For more information about Small HD products, go to smallhd.com. Jillian, you pop up in the movie for a, a, a short, short, <laughs> short component. Uh, was that one of the interstitial to the interstitials, or where, where in the phase did that come? I was in, I was in one of the final rounds of shoots. And I wanted a really small set with some of my favorite people on a six-speed boat. So uh, that's the parameters in which I set for myself. Uh, so I was able to do it uh, with Olivia and um, Emma, who's not here with us at the moment. And it was fantastic. It was a short within a short. And I also appear in another short as a, someone who feeds a boat and a monster truck a milkshake while they're on a date. That's probably my best role. That's, ever. The, that's the kind of movie this is. So, <laughs> if that it's sounds a, like something up your alley, it's, definitely it's see this. It's a dramatic rom com <laughs> and also a documentary. <laughs> so, there are uh, plenty of recognizable cast members in this omnibus film. Uh, was the PDF instrumental in, in uh, you know, sending it to, to actors who are busy and have other commitments and, and saying this is the tone of it? Or, like, can you talk about some of the attachments there and how they came about? What do you think? How did you get how'd you get to your actor, since I won't reveal your segment, <laughs> Anna? I had made a movie with them. I don't even know if I sent her. Casey Wilson uh, is in the film. And I don't even know if I sent her the PDF. I, I bet I did. Yeah, she had also had a baby like a month before, so I caught her right in the delusion of motherhood. Yeah. I, if I remember with uh, <laughs> if I remember with like her, how we initially contacted her, and I think with a lot of the actors, we just sent lots of photos of the boat. We're just like, this is our boat. We own it now. Do you want to come ride on it in Miami? And like most people were like, yeah. It's always good to send a photo and an email. Yeah, yeah. Always send send them stuff to look at. They like it. Phil, you're familiar with how that works, the photo and the email, the d digital attachment? I have, some of these young people show me how to do it. <laughs> I just yelled into a, um, yeah, a, a handset <laughs> for a while, but it, they, they, they set me straight. Did they send you a photo of a boat? I, mean, I did get to see the PDF, and I was mightily impressed. We brought you on the boat. And then you brought me on the boat, yeah. We went really fast and did uh, donuts. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> Shivers, my chihuahua was there, so. <laughs> I feel like for the casting process, it was a lot of the times it was like what really seemed to work is people who we already had some sort of relationship with creatively who sort of trust us to a certain degree. And then we were able to kind of just like avoid the sort of like agent's world and kind of like navigate around that and speak to them directly or through a friend of a friend who could help kind of like advocate for like Borsch is insane, but they do good work. Um, and like for the, the person that performed in mine, which is like a friend of a friend who uh, had heard about Borscht and was like, Oh yeah, cool. You vouch for Borscht. That sounds fun. I want to give this a shot. It sounds different and exciting, but it seemed like um, it was, it was hard to get 
cast through the sort of normal channels because I think the film itself just doesn't fit in that channel. It just like clogs it up and people get confused and flustered. And also, it's, I mean, it's pitched to the actors as a short film. Right. And any good agent is not trying to put, you yeah. know, recognizable actors on short films. Yeah. So, yeah, Dylan's right. Like, I don't think we got really any actors through the agency. Typical system was a lot of text messages and stuff. Yeah, totally. A lot of, like, this person would be cool in my film. Does anyone know them? Yeah. And then you, like, reach out to your stranger friends that are like, yeah, my mom's sister does the accounting for them. It was just a lot of creep mode and stalking in unconventional ways not the scary stalking the cute kind oh. <laughs> the te- the texting kind <laughs> they say uh don't make a movie with uh kids or animals or water um can you talk about uh, some of the challenges or or crazy uh nightmare stories of filming on water on a on a speedboat that can go 70 miles an hour or whatever it is and I mean you're largely on the water for the for all of the segments not or most of the segments the boat the boat doesn't stay in one place you know yeah. boats don't stay in one place you know you put it there you, then you move away and you say I want to f- film the boat but then it moves away <laughs> <laughs> it moves over there you're like no I want it over there you know, Super you know what I mean? <clears throat> Dan Daniel Daniel Kwan one of uh, half of Daniel's uh, had a quote that I loved, which is, uh, making movies with boats is making movies in slow motion. Mm. Everything just takes really, really, really long time. You just move so much slower, and you know, boats are unruly. Mm-hmm. I feel like when, um, when for version number three of my script, you, I was like, I just need, like, give me some parameters. I just need, yeah. like, some rules. And... You guys were like, okay, try and not have the boat on the water. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. great. Because <laughs> okay. at that point, we had made a couple with the boat on the yeah. water. And we were like, how about just at the dock? <laughs> yeah. I was like, awesome. Explore well, the dock. Yeah. yeah, the dock is sort of this new it's place. It's really interesting we really space. Hung out at. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, towards the end, I mean, we. Uh, Towards the end, we really kind of felt like pirates out there on the ocean. Like, there was a day where we were uh, kicked off of every dock that we tried to, like, stop at. And we literally had to take to the sea with several boats. And, like, everyone's phones were dying and no one could charge them. And we were, like, waving at each other from different boats in the middle of Biscayne Bay, being like, go over to that mangrove island. We'll meet you there. (laughs) that's a pretty accurate description yeah. shooting, of shooting with boats. I don't remember which, I guess Dylan was there, but on the scare, one of the scary movies, one of the scary shorts on, in the omnibus, on the omnibus film, um, we were, half the crew was on one boat, half the crew was on another boat, and then there was the film boat, and everyone got seasick. And I think, Xander, I was on the same boat as you maybe. Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember. But we all ended up having to take Dramamine, and we all fell asleep in the, <laughs> on our boat, and it looked, we lo- we were sleeping on the floor of like the boat, whatever the boat Lowest floor. Lowest gravity In the possible. sun, we just lo- and we looked like a cult. Yeah, like we were all just passed out, so wrecked for days after. It was so seasick, everyone. And I had never been in a situation where everyone would just looked at each other with such sadness and confusion. <laughs> and also at that same location where the girl is swimming underwater, the the um the underwater ship that sunk that she's navigating through to avoid the scary creature 
uh, has a thing called fire coral. So if you touch it, it burns your skin and cuts you. So it's like not only is the safety device unstable and making you want to puke, but also this set will also cut your skin up. And I was just like, what is this? Who are we? <laughs> How does it how does it work getting permits to film on the water like that? Like, were you often permitted, or did you go just go out sometimes? And... Um, you actually don't need in Miami. You don't need film permits to shoot out on the water. the The thing that you need permits for is getting to docks. So that was that's sort of the harder thing. You actually once you're out on the water, it's kind of like all bets are off. You're allowed to be out there. No one's really going to stop you unless you're you know doing something illegal or unsafe or whatever. <laughs> but it's the coming in and out that you need permission from uh, owners and you need uh, permits to do that. So most of the time we have them because <laughs> loading film crew or film equipment and all that stuff it's just like yeah it's with that, boats you know for at first you're just pulling a cooler out of your van and you're like we're just going for a little trip it's no big deal and then suddenly there's like two mag liners like making their be making a beeline for the dock and everyone's like wait 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 like, you're doing something else over there it's like an Ari alexa on top of yeah. it with like a like, seven we're, foot lens on it like, we were like we're shooting a birthday party they're like yeah. what oh, yeah. birthday party <laughs> yeah. the good news is they don't have a boat Yes. So the getaway is clean. We always have a getaway. Yeah, the getaway was clean. Like Olivia says, pirates. Pirates. Total pirates. Take to the sea. But was your, like, production support boat? I mean, it wasn't as fast as the the cigarette boat, so the cigarette boat would get away, but then you'd still be... Yeah, that actually was always a really hard thing, was um, boat-to-boat work is very difficult, and um, trying to find a boat that can keep up with our boat is not easy. So either you have to make our boat go slower, which is lame, obviously, um, or you have to find a very fast boat to go alongside of it. Um, It's also very hard to um, keep the camera stable on a boat. (laughs) We try to... Drones drones are definitely a very important thing when shooting on the water because they're the only thing that actually can have some kind of like stability. Um, so there are so many uh, filmmakers here from Miami or who live in Miami, and the movie is is uh, very embracing of and also refutes uh, you know Miami stereotypes. And um, I'm wondering about personal experiences if, if you know being from Miami informed your segment. If you have anything you can talk about there, because. Uh, yeah, as I said, it, this might be the most Miami thing ever created, and, and I mean that in a really good way. Miami is a collision of things that don't belong together, like Spain. It's like a, it was a country made out of city-states, and then they're just like, well, let's be a country. And Miami feels like that. It's a lot of – and, and the, I think the film in that way represents you know, the, the town really well. There's just a lot of people from a lot of different places that don't necessarily fit, and somehow in the, like the mixing of that, you know, it has now this sense of place. It's a really young city, a little over a hundred years old. It is still basically a swamp, and and so for me, you know, living in Los Angeles, like I miss home all the time, and so it was a, I don't know, it was a real, it was it was nice to just um, embrace every idiosyncratic thing like the location of robert is here which is a really which is like a a fruit stand that turned into a tourist attraction that has turtles and a petting zoo and all this other stuff in it and the fact that you know like the casting because there's not a deep pool of actors you're pulling just interesting people you know that are artists or um you know a shaman (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, or like a great bodybuilder that you, somebody knows or someone who's in a band who's really charismatic. Like it, it's like part of the, the, the excitement 
for me was to go and and um, and use people and put people on screen that were from the place. So Miami is really incredible and inspirational and tragic and fun and dramatic and ridiculous. And that definitely makes its way into all of the work that is, gets made there. There's definitely a huge aspect of magical surrealism that's part of every day. So anything you film there is going to be a little bit bizarre if it's being made using the local ingredients. We weren't necessarily like a, a lot of us work in, in New York and LA, but we knew that by being in the, the melting pot of Miami that everything comes out in this like weird, unique paella kind of combo, like ceviche kind of whatever. And that is so exciting. Um, it's just a, a beautiful kind of confusion. And we, we, so we're part of a film collaborative called Borscht Corp, and we throw a festival every two years or so that's um, these, we take our grants that we're able to get from different art organizations or foundations or even companies and redistribute them as micro grants to people in the community. And it's oftentimes people's first grant. And it's like media projects or films or different kind of stuff. And um, we then throw this festival, we show the work, and we think a lot about the experience of the, of the, a, a lot of the uh, experiential experience of the audience, um, not just kind of locking people in a film and like making them st sit in a theater and just, you know, wonder who's texting them. We instead try and think about it like a larger process and a larger, a larger experience. So for me watching the film the other night, yeah, last night, I guess, um, it was interesting because it felt the most like the traveling Borscht Festival that we could give people. Um, so it really did feel like a kind of cliff notes of what it is to make work and to live and to see work in, in South Florida. And the neat thing that that these guys do is they make films and filmmakers and art and artists out of thin air and stuff that wouldn't be there otherwise. And they go and find the money and find the people and give them, a, you know, an affirmative example of people that do it and also like tap people on the shoulder and go like, I think you can do this and we can help. And that is such an inspiring thing to me. There's no barrier to entry. And so they've created a film culture in Miami out of nothing. This podcast is sponsored by Rode Microphones, the Australian pro audio powerhouse making incredible gear for podcasters, vloggers, filmmakers, and musicians. Rode is at the vanguard of innovation for audio solutions for podcasters, offering groundbreaking products like the Rodecaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio, and PodMic, the ultimate podcasting microphone. Find out more about how Rode can help you cut through the noise at rode.com slash podcasting. That's R-O-D-E dot com forward slash podcasting you know we we can and should do an entire podcast about borscht at some point because i think for no film school we have a global audience of filmmakers and aspiring filmmakers and many of them most of them are not in new york or la and as somebody from north carolina like i moved to new york because i didn't have a creative community in north carolina and now i moved to la but there's no reason that you have to do that and uh, i think borscht is a great example of you know, filmmakers staying local and uplifting their community. So I'm curious, um, you know, if, if you were to syndicate Borscht and you were to give tips to other people, I just got an eyebrow, eyebrow raise as if that's something in progress. But, uh, you know, I'm just curious about tips for other local filmmakers who, you know, want to be making work where they are and maybe don't have 
geographic access to the the production centers uh, you know what you would tell like them Flor- Florida has its own like advantage where it's like a place that a lot of people are aware of a lot of people have an idea of what it is it's represented in a lot of media a lot of people vacation there but still in, at the same way it's like a it's it's regional Miami if you're a, a filmmaker in Miami you're seen as like a regional filmmaker um, but I guess the ethos of Borscht is that you're going to bring people, um, other filmmakers to Miami, or, or cultivate filmmakers from Florida, maybe that have left, to have them come back and tell a story with like a special type of love that you can't get, you know, if you were just like strictly an outsider. Um, but like if I said I wanted to like make a movie in, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where are you where from? I'm from? Yeah, I'm from Indianapolis. Indianapolis, sorry. Um, it's it's a it's a, you know it's it's a little different because less people have like a, an idea of what that place is like yeah. so i think i guess borsch is sort of like saying every you all think this place is like this no this is what we think it is and we have the authenticity of being you know from th- there sort of <clears throat> i'm from the suburbs so th- it's a little different i think borsch is like um succeeded and it's you know run here for a mixture between you know, supporting and uplifting filmmakers in the community and then also bringing in cool filmmakers from the outside. Like um, another director on this uh, project, Terrence Nance. He's not from Miami. He doesn't live in Miami, but he's worked with Borscht several times. I think he's made like three or four films with us at this point. And because we've brought him in, he has mentored and been a really big part of like at least half a dozen filmmakers' lives in Miami who have a direct line with Terrence. And he, even if he wouldn't call himself a mentor to them, he definitely is, and so it's a if, if advice for like if you wanted to syndicate Borscht, like bring in the people you really look up to and cross pollinate them with the people in your community, and the results will be. I mean, the results are just like surprising always. Yeah, and I think um, so. I also help run the fellowship program. It's a part of the nonprofit side of Borscht, um, and one of the things that has seemed to kind of work and is really based on a lot of how the Institute was formed and also the sort of origins of Borscht, which is basically like sort of incubate the filmmaking, like make a, create a group of people who are excited about making stuff and sharing that stuff with each other and then find a reason to show it and give yourself stakes for that exhibition. And I think that doing the fellowship, we, on the first week of the fellowship, we make a Facebook event for them and tell them in a week, we've invited 300 people to a screening and you have to make work for that. And I think like, and then, and then I was like, so then how do you get people to see it? It's like, well, I guess we should make an Instagram account of like our group that's going to show stuff. And it becomes a sort of self manifesting thing. And it becomes a sort of cycle where you create like, Oh, we're a thing. And then you have to make work for that thing. And then when you make work for that thing, you get other opportunities to keep making work. So it's this kind of like, I think at some point, like, you know, it can be as simple as just like, Let's just make an Instagram account where we're like a collective and now we're a collective. It's it's this weird thing where I, I think it, it can be a self-manifesting thing, especially in like regional cities where you can just be like, well, let's find a bar and ask them if we can show films once a month and we're going to call ourselves X. Then you make an Instagram for X and then you start showing movies once a month at that place. And it's 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 it can be pretty simple in that way. Um, but I think ultimately you have to want to spend time with the people that you're working with. I think you can't underestimate like, friendship that we all have with each other and that we like spending time together and that we want to spend time together and i think that's really important but you know speaking of the carolinas like danny mcbride and david gordon green and you know jody hill like they those guys are making movies down there gemstones love it yeah so good it's so good and it's the thing that could only come from that place and i think 
you know, Danny and those guys really believe in the idea of regional film movements. Danny said to me once, he was like, what, what would it be like if all music came from Los Angeles? Right. It would be like like there's great music in Los Angeles, but I'd be bummed if there was no music from Houston or Miami or Atlanta. Right. So there it's it's important that um, that that films and movies are come from all different places. Perhaps it's cliche at this point, but it may be like a repeated notion. But I think it's one of the things with Borscht is we always want to know what's the story they should tell. And that doesn't mean like personal identity stuff, but maybe maybe uh, like a 14-year-old's not the best person to do like a World War One movie. I don't know. Maybe it would come out sick, but like maybe there's something that would be really cool about knowing what it is to be like a 14-year-old right now. I think I might want to know that, you know, um, and to see like a take on something in that realm. So, And one of the other like basic cues that we've thought about for how to kind of start a film collaborative is not only to get the bar to play the films, but have convinced someplace, even if it's someone's backyard, where you guys can meet up and set it and just like find some food from somewhere, pizza or whatever, and just setting a place. Like putting that in your practice and carving time to just get together. You know, we all live in very highly digitized worlds and have, you know, uh, cheaper electronics that have democratized filmmaking and make it more accept, uh, accessible. But really there's something about carving out time to have a moment together and um, putting that into the practice. Yeah, I'd like to, like to piggyback on what you're saying. It's a moment to have with each other, but also to support each other. Because I think like one of the key elements of Borscht is the fact that when someone else at this table succeeds, we're all Borscht filmmakers, right? We're a collective. When someone else at this table succeeds, I'm by proxy succeeding. We have this sort of when the tide rises, all the boats go up kind of mentality about it. So, um, hey, boat metaphor. What's up? Yeah, we were all pointing at each What's other, up? but you can't see that. Hey, the finger, there's a lot of finger guns going on. <laughs> um, so, so honestly, like support each other. And that's like, it's a really complicated thing to work through, like being friends and making work together. And like, you know, you, sometimes you just want to choke each other, but like, <laughs> on it, like we all love each other uh, a lot and support each other a lot. And like your guys' victories are my victories. And so that's, that's actually, I think the key advice for people trying to start like a regional movement. It's about supporting each other and like lifting each other up. And it's a ebb and flow process. We're not always involved in each project. Sometimes the shifts, you can go away, you can come back. It's more like, I think it's just like a loose group of friends. And if you want to get in it, you just kind of got to hang out and like be sort of funny or weird or something. I don't know. It'd be cool. Have a good dog. Like <laughs> and stick to it. I mean, you know, one of the reasons it's called No Film School is not like we are like saying no one should go to film school, but in terms of the voices in the industry and who gets to tell their story, you know, there's a select group of people who have the, the money to go to film school. And so the idea of a regional film collective is so important um, so that people can, you know, work on their craft. And I think the idea of setting deadlines is just so important. Like if you're, if you make something and it's not good, that's fine, but you learn something so that... You know, I, I heard tips about uh, finding a location, um, giving yourself a name on, on Instagram or Facebook, uh, setting yourself deadlines to actually make an exhibit work, and then uh, stick to it because how old is, you know, we're here with a omnibus feature at the Sundance Film Festival from a film collective. That That's like the, you know, you've been to the mountaintop, you are there, like this is, that's an incredible accomplishment. But how many years of work is this the culmination of, like, when did you start Borscht? Um, so I was not one of the original founders of Borscht. I just kind of hang out, 
for about a decade or so. Uh, I, yeah, long, super, I'm real good at hanging. Um, and they started it when they were in high school at um, an arts high school in Miami that also has a college uh, called New World School of the Arts, which is kind of like really awesome, like the LaGuardia, essentially, of um, Miami. And um, not the airport, um, <laughs> the school, <laughs> just to be clear, in case you were confused. Um, so they started it, and essentially it came about because they wanted to make work but no one wanted to screen their work because it was so awful. But they thought, hey, let's get together and we'll screen our own work and watch our own work and each other's work. And then they all started kind of creating an audience in, in a really actually organic way. And uh, then as the group and the events and the ability to save files got better understood, uh, the films got better by default of just repetition and practice and, and uh, sh skill sharing. So then there was uh, an event thrown and people came. And then that kept happening year after year where the venues got bigger and more people came or people started scalping tickets. And it was kind of, I guess, exciting in this way. And different foundations, such as the Knight Foundation, uh, was hugely supportive of um, the Borscht Corp and Borscht Film Festival over the years. So that led to it becoming more and more real. And it became becoming, we were able to sort of create a pipeline for development um, as we mentioned, of young creatives and of each other. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the important thing that I want to communicate to our listeners is these were, these were friends in high school that started this. And I think so many of us in film think, oh, you know, if I could just get an agent or I could just get a manager, like the help is going to come from outside. But your peers are the ones that are if they have similar dreams and, and also want to make art, like make stuff with them and then it's going to be more authentic and uh, regional and specific than what the industry is telling you, oh, this is hot right now. You know, that kind I, of I think it's also interesting that the goal of this group is not to launch people to another place to go be a star somewhere. It's about the process and becoming better filmmakers and, you know, in success, maybe staying in south florida and making work there and that that and validating that as a as a pathway and not just you know these aren't just a means to an end that is about hollywood or even new york yeah and it's great because it has given people more abilities to work in those markets and given them more financial stability so that they can come back and make weird things with us. And that's something that like a lot of our cinematographers from the beginning were able to shoot eight shorts in six months or whatever, just back to back to back, literally one set to another, or even sharing the in-between days um, and piggybacking as much as possible if you had like the gear already rented. And there was like a couple hours where someone would then would pick up the gear and go shoot something else at night. Um, and that kind of, um, that kind of like, Adderall energy, <laughs> big Adderall energy. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that kind of like excitement and enthusiasm led to this hyper production, um, which was able to create substantial bodies of work for individuals. And then they make their money and then they come back to continue to make strange things with us. And I feel like that's so neat. One of my favorite things about Omniboat is the sense of the fun that you guys had making it comes off screen and I know that it's torturous in production and all that but um, so many times movie making seems unnecessarily difficult and manipulative and it's so hard and you're like we're not literally in war right now like why is this so difficult so in talking about 
making art with your friends, like on a basic level, and, and enjoying some of it, even though it will be torturous and things will go wrong. Um, I'd be, I'd love to hear some favorite memories from each of you about the experience of making this, because it's not always about the outcome and whether you got selected for Sundance. Like, hopefully, the process itself was valuable and you enjoyed that, regardless of what ended up happening. So, any uh, crazy favorite fun memories you want to share? I think it was like as we were prepping the short, we all went bowling, and I just remember that being like the most fun I had had in a really long time. <laughs> and I think that is sort of what I love about this group of people is that it's really, it's just, it's like, it's about the hang. It's about making something together. And, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun, um, when different directors would come in from out of town having like, we would get, I think Jillian was very sort of involved in this was like the hospitality, part of it was like we would have these like people come in and we would think about like what's like the most fun thing we can do and like the one night off we maybe have this week and like for Hannah we went bowling and I think one of my favorite memories was uh we went to uh Universal Studios with the Daniels <laughs> or actually I guess it was just Dan Kwan um, because it was Halloween Horror Nights and we had like I don't know why we thought it was a good idea like two three days before shooting that we would drive to Orlando altogether <laughs> but we got up in the morning and we drove, um, we drove my car, which eventually got stolen, uh, to Orlando, and <laughs> um, I just remember uh, me and Emma, who's another co-producer, um, walking through the like Saw haunted house with Daniel Kwan, like between us, just screaming and using us as human shields. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, threw you guys under the bus. You yeah, really did. <laughs> Olivia's car did get stolen during production. Also, we had we had a liquidation sale at one point when we moved offices in the middle of production because of the real estate situation in Miami. Is like quick gentrification, so you kind of got to keep going. Um, but we had a sale, and I the think gentrification someone gentrification follows Borscht. Yeah, <laughs> we're trendsetters. Um, but I think at one point your laptop got sold. At, someone's laptop got sold at the liquidation sale. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff stolen during Happy It's hard to keep track. But uh, another thing that was funny to me is when everyone had we had to shut down production and everyone was evacuating florida or evacuating south florida my producer yeah hurricane irma my producers were like we're gonna go to an escape room i'm like you guys are (laughs) constantly dealing with the most intense logistics and everything so stressful and on your day off you want to go to an escape room as you're (laughs) fleeing a natural disaster yeah brett Brett and i did actually three escape rooms in a row in the days leading up to hurricane irma (laughs) we we love them Any other favorite memories or crazy stories, anecdotes? My favorite memory is when, after shooting something, and Lucas had no reason to be on set that day, he was tasked with like cleaning up the the boat, which was filled with blood, and he was just like, "Man, we're a legit film collective. This sucks." <laughs> like, because he was just like, "Oh, I just wanted to like you know say we're a film collective, and you know other people would do this work for me, but Lucas had to do it." And um, not real blood, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not real blood. It's a fake, fake blood. And I was just like, yeah, you know, this it, it, it felt special in that moment. Also, being an indie film collective, I guess, feels a lot like what I think being a moving company would be. Mm-hmm. We're just constantly loading, unloading, and looking for things, and figuring out where things went. <laughs> Is that what movers do? <laughs> I, I think. Should we start a moving company yeah. to fund the films? Yes. Yeah. yeah, if you take one thing away from the, this <laughs> podcast... 
Well, the nice thing about hearing about that, though, is, is film production is often so segmented with unions and you can't touch this and you can't move that. And you know, there you have one of the heads of the collective, you know, sopping up fake blood in the bottom of the boat or you guys are all moving stuff. And, and I think that, that that's great for filmmakers to hear, too, because you, you think like, oh, I'm going to be the one pointing and everyone else is going to be doing stuff. And it's like, no, 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 if you're getting your hands dirty, then hopefully that that also inspires the rest of the crew. Yeah, I remember Jillian, when I first came down, you know, Jillian was a producer and I actually came down originally as the UPM on the movie. And I was like, I had come, I had moved down from New York where things are a little bit more regimented. And I was like, I think I was actually running around on Hannah's set and I was really, I was overwhelmed. We were shooting this trailer park and we had sort of trucks parked all over the place and I was worried about gear. And Jillian came up to me and was just like, how can I help you? And I was like, oh no, don't worry about it. Like just go hang out or whatever. And she was like, no, seriously, how can I help you? And I was like, I need you to go sit in that truck. (laughs) And she was like, okay. And she went and sat in a truck for like three hours in the middle of the night, just like fire watching as like a producer. And I was like, oh, this is a different vibe and very nice. (laughs) Um, Something funny that we were talking about yesterday is that all of us at one point had to lie and say we knew how to drive a truck. <laughs> and no one knows actually how to drive a truck until they make that lie and then someone hands them keys and then you get in the truck and it's quite high up and you're looking around and you're like, okay, put the seatbelt on. And then you're like, wish myself luck here. <laughs> and that's how you learn how to drive a truck. Yeah, that, that, that's you know a metaphor for filmmaking. Yeah. I was about to you say just have exactly to, Yeah, that. jump into the deep end of the pool and drive that truck. Yeah, you don't have to go to school to be taught how to drive the truck you just get in there and drive the truck or grind the gears or mess cra- up yeah or crash the truck. there's way. gonna be some collateral damage <laughs> yeah but, uh, you just know. don't go reverse <laughs> wait what yeah. you're gonna crash the truck i'm saying yeah. if you go reverse no you regrets must go never look back <laughs> no never, regrets never go in <laughs> <Yeah>. reverse <laughs> if that's another piece of advice for regional film collectives <laughs> yeah never never go backwards <laughs> there you guys have it uh make stuff with your friends never go back Thank you all for joining us, and hope everybody goes and gets a chance to see Omniboat. It's hilarious. It's bombastic. You'll have a great time. Uh, thank you all. Thanks for listening to the No Film School podcast. We have a lot more podcasts coming to you from Sundance. Please make sure you are subscribed. If you give us a rating, that really helps. And also on nofilmschool.com, we've got a lot of Sundance stuff, uh, not just about movies there, but also analysis about the industry and uh, how to go from a short to a feature. Uh, we talked to cinematographers, directors. Uh, we talked to Kickstarter. And then, of course, as a, a number of us are here from No Film School, we also prognosticate about what it means for the industry and uh, what, what we as filmmakers can take away from the annual fest of filmmaking, networking, movie watching, uh, everything that is Sundance. Uh, I love it here. I hope that our podcasts bring you some of the flavor of what it's like to be here. So uh, we'll see you soon on No Film School. This episode was recorded with Rode Microphones, the choice of today's creative generation. <laughs>